Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glixman with my tag team partner, Matt Story, and my loyal sidekick, Archie, who's just wandering around in the background. Uh, <laughs> He'll make his presence felt soon, it's, audibly. It is June 27th. It is no more appropriate time than the present to talk about ASU men's basketball's non-conference schedule that begins with a conference non-conference game. Yep. As ASU, ASU takes on Colorado in Shanghai, China on Saturday, November 9th. Because why not, Matt? Why yeah. Why not? Well, uh, <laughs> I can think of a few reasons. Um, but, you know, this is this is the uh, the dream of the Pac-12 is, uh, you know, apparently under King Larry is to, you know, be the, the world's conference. Um which I guess is something, you know, when you're not the nation's conference, you, know, you try to try to capture another country or another continent, I guess. But, um, uh, you know, hey, whatever. I mean, it's not the end of the world. Um, playing a conference team, non-conference is weird. Um, and, you know, and, and we're, we'll see them at least once during the season. I don't, I don't know uh, the schedule rotation if we play them home and home and actually end up playing them three times. I think um, that's what we're looking at. And obviously a, a potential fourth in the conference. In tournament. the conference tournament, maybe. Yeah, I was going to say. So that's odd. Um, I, I mean, I, you know, I read, uh, you know, one of the things that Hurley talked about in his media session this week is, is you know, made a mention of, you know, been, would have been good to have a non-conference power, you know. Uh, and, yeah, I think it would have been, um, you know, but uh, probably tough to convince teams to make that track i mean that's a long trip and and then it would you have come needed to and, be like gonzaga and what yeah, is in it for them yeah <laughs> exactly right yeah i mean you know and, and teams are playing other events around that time of year i mean you know thanksgiving week is only you know two three weeks after that and there's always a ton of those holiday tournaments that are scheduled around there um, you know, teams open up the big time teams open up with you know a, a double header or something like that now like we saw last year, I'm sure they're doing that again with the, you know, Kansas, Kentucky, Duke, Michigan State, or some combo of those four. Um, you know, so it's, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I don't quite get it, but it's not for me to get, I guess. Uh, you know, for people like you and me who are just, you know, ASU basketball fans, the, the that's not the market they're after with a game like this. Now, you and I, when the non-conference schedule got posted, uh, texted each other about how, well, this really isn't all that uh, exciting or impressive, is it? And then Doug Haller tweeted, well, that's a really tough non-conference schedule. So Yeah, <laughs> I, I noticed that too. Yeah, I, I mean. I, I tried to dig in a little on this. So here's, if I'm going to spin this in the most positive light, you know, the China game, whatever, I, I hope we win because that'd be really bad to travel all that way and not win. Well, and, and yeah, I mean, you know, it's not like we're playing a bad team, though. I mean, Colorado's a solid enough team, so yeah, that's you'd hope so. But uh, yeah, I mean, who knows, I guess. But then I think that home games, Central Connecticut State and Ryder are not impressive. Uh, but then, yeah. we, then we get to play at the, uh, the casino tournament in Connecticut with uh-huh. uh, St. John's and let's, let's hope it's Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I don't think St. John's is going to be that good this year. I mean, they were they were obviously right on the bubble team last year. That's why we played them in the tournament there, um, and they lost a lot. And they had to go through about six different people turning them down to be their coach before they finally got Mike Anderson. And so uh, it's it's just not. I mean, yeah, St. John's. You know, in theory, is oh, it's a Big East program. I don't think that's that good a team. And UMass is not that good of a team. And so, you know, we would play the, the, the respective Virginia UMass winner or loser, depending on what we are. And so, yeah, you, you would hope that at least we get that Virginia game to give us a, a signature opponent because outside of that, I, yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some good programs and, and we'll get into them, but you know, as far as like a, uh, you know, what we had in the last couple of years playing Kansas, there's not that unless we play Virginia. Yeah. So that leads to uh, a continuation of time away from home. So we at play Ryder at home November 17th. We don't return home until Saturday, December 7th 
because in between we play Princeton and San Francisco on the road. So we go out to this tournament, the 23rd and 24th of November. Then we stay out east and play Princeton on the 26th. Presumably Bobby Hurley gets to stay home in New Jersey for Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And then we go across country for our our next game a week later on the other side of Thanksgiving at San Francisco, the game that got canceled due to the uh, smoke last year. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, now you would think between the 26th and the 3rd is Thanksgiving because isn't Thanksgiving the 28th or 29th this year? It is the 28th. So you would think they would they would come home and I mean obviously you know Princeton to San Francisco is, is it's not like you know you're going out of the way to come to Phoenix and spend a few days in Tempe before you probably fly out on the second to go to San Francisco so you know they would at least get back home don't play a game in that stretch but yeah it's it's a you know you look at that and you think back to back and I'll I'll, I'll confess you know when I first glanced at the schedule. Uh, you know, you look at the names, and I didn't really even comprehend. And I thought that said at Pepperdine, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, a couple of you know West Coast teams. Then I realized, oh no, wait, that's Princeton, totally opposite end of the country. Um, obviously, return game for for playing, you know, them playing here last year, and they beat us here. Um, and, you know, so uh, okay. I mean, again, they're not a they won last year, but they weren't a great team, and then, you know, an Ivy League school is. is is an Ivy League school. I mean, you know, they can be good, but you're never going to get uh, a whole lot of, of, you know, resonance in your schedule from playing an Ivy League team. After that road trip, uh, ASU returns home to take on the Raging Cajuns, Prairie View A&M, yeah. and the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, who will hopefully be improved. They've got, uh, you know, one of the top two or three recruits in the country, depending on, you know, the, the place you look at the rankings. But, kid who's getting you know top five in the draft mentioned and anthony edwards and uh they were obviously very bad last year we we beat them in athens and and that win didn't do a whole lot for us because they i think you know finished second to last in the sec with the last place team being bandy who we also played mm-hmm. um so hopefully they'll be approved because that's that's the only other you know power conference opponent we've got after that you know hopefully virginia game I guess Creighton counts if you if you count the Big East as a power conference, but I don't know if that really is fair to count them that way. Yeah, and and as you alluded to, we end uh, our final three games of uh, the non-conference. St. Mary's playing uh, downtown Phoenix, mm-hmm. and then hosting Creighton and Texas Southern. <laughs> you, yeah, you got to hope the Gales are you know fringy top twenty-five again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's always hard to say this far out, obviously. And there's there's some programs on there. I mean, USF was pretty good last year. Uh, they didn't make the tournament. They had a pretty good year. Um, and, and so maybe they continue along that path. Obviously, St. Mary's is every year seems like, uh, you know, if, if not in the tournament on the bubble, last year they would have been on the bubble except they won the West Coast final to get in the, the auto bid. Um Creighton is is usually a pretty good program, although they were down a little bit last year. Um, so that you know, you don't know how it's going to shake out. But yeah, I looked at it and thought, okay. I mean, outside of because I mean, I think you kind of take the Colorado game, you know, and scratch that off because you're going to play them in conference too. So where is the you know we've we've benefited from having a, you know some signature performances in the non-conference season the last couple of years. There's not as many opportunities for those. Yeah. Georgia might be better, but I don't think Georgia's going to be great. Um, no, the, the, the needle-moving you know, opportunity is Virginia. Is Virginia, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can beat the defending champs, who, you know, will will be replacing a lot of guys from that group. You know, Kyle Guy's gone. Ty Jerome is gone. Uh, DeAndre Hunter was obviously a lottery pick, uh, top five pick I think he went fourth um so you know they're they're replacing some guys but you figure a program like that they don't you know they've they've lost guys in recent years and they just keep on keep on rolling you know they've got something going there and I'm sure they'll be really good again this year so that's the that's the one that you circle as like first of all you want to play them regardless of results but certainly if you could get a win over them that's a you know standard bearer type of win you know if it comes to March and you need that help we are, you know, a solid four and a half months away from these sure. games happening. But 
Uh, Doug Haller came out with 10 things to know about Bobby Hurley and ASU basketball. A lot of it was light, but uh, point number seven and point number eight are the things I want to talk about. Number seven was Tayshawn Cherry uh, and how much uh, he's been working and that uh, I want to quote here, he is perhaps ASU's most important player next season. And I think that is very true. Yeah. Um, losing yeah. Cheatham, losing uh, Daquan Lake, you know, you need these guys to come yeah. through. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, a few few weeks ago we were talking, and I I think we were both we were talking about him and, and Kamani Lawrence, and I feel like those are those are the guys that will swing this season, good or bad, uh, if they both take a step forward. And, you know, show improvement from what they've been so far. And they've got the ability to do it. We've seen it in, in flashes, but not consistently over, you know, a 30, 35 game season. Uh, we saw Lawrence get off to a really good start last year. He kind of tailed. Cherry had some nice moments, but, you know, health wasn't great. Uh, maturity seemed to be an issue at times. Foul trouble, uh, you know, but if, if they can both, you know, take what we've seen in maybe four or five game doses and, and do it, you know, more consistently over 30 plus games, then I think we got a pretty good team. Uh, but if not, you know, you wonder how good can this team be? The interesting thing to me that, uh, Haller brought up in, in point eight, which is about the front court focus. And, yeah. and you've sort of alluded to some of this and what you were saying, but you, you lose Cheatham, you lose Lake, you lose Scheibel, you lose Plavsic, who obviously didn't play and was going to be a project, but he had been in the system for a year. Uh, so only Romello White in the bigs. And I don't know, when, when you saw this, was your immediate thought, oh my goodness, it's going to be Cody Justice all over again uh, at that second big? Because that was my fear. Uh, uh, <laughs> I mean, a bit. Now, I think we've got more, you know, the two guys we just talked about, and that's that's discussed in that same section that you're referring to um you know those those are guys we did not have you know two three years ago when cody justice had to play that role uh, we had you know we had a big and then we had all guards and now we've got guys who can play that you know small forward type of role we we probably will not be as you know deep in the front court or at least you know in the rotation of the front court next year um, I think next year's team probably will look a little bit more like two years ago than last year um, because there's no Cheatham. You know, Cheatham was kind of the guy that, that, you know, made that team bigger. He could, as we talked about last week, uh, which I guess at some point we should discuss the disappointment of the draft and the, those results. But, uh, you know, he could guard every position. You know, Cherry and Lawrence I don't think are quite that. I don't think it's fair to ask him to be that. But they give us some more size that, that can, you know, you can win in college with one big and a, you know, a, what is a traditional small forward type of player playing your, you know, quote unquote power forward. Lots of teams do it. Virginia did it. I mean, the team we're just talking about that won the title. That was basically DeAndre Hunter, who is not a traditional, you know, big man by any means. Yeah. And that's true. I mean, the, the thing for me with this is, Cherry and Lawrence are six seven and six eight, and they're they're good. But they they played last year at least as perimeter players. Now I think that Cherry showed a toughness and an aggression that perhaps needed to be corralled at times, but was you know very impressive uh, in a lot of ways. The, sure. the motor he had, yeah. Um, but I think it speaks to what we've talked about with Hurley's recruiting. Uh, with both those guys is the, the players coming in. So you've got two Juco transfers, uh, Khalid Thomas, Andre Allen, who are both six foot nine forwards. Then you're bringing in Jalen Graham, who's also six foot nine, who's a high schooler, who's going to be a freshman. So right there, you've got three guys who are all in that Zylan Cheatham model of, you know, kind of a athletic big who you yeah, hope could be a compliment and at times be your, your main big if necessary. Yes. Yes. I think so. I mean, it's the, you know, that's another portion of the team that, you know, will, will kind of, you know, I said, I thought Cherry and Lawrence would kind of be the big swing, but 
can we, out of those three guys, does one emerge, at least one, hopefully, ideally, more than one, but does one emerge as a guy who can be trusted to play a big role? Uh, you know, not, and, and you'd probably favor the two Juco kids just because of their, you know, they, they're older, they're, you know, more more experienced, in, at least in terms of college ball. Um, the, the one, Khalid Thomas, certainly highly, you know, more highly touted than the other. So if one of them can emerge to be, you know, a guy who could play 20 minutes and be confident, that's going to help a lot because, you know, you, you don't want to go in with just one big. I mean, I like Romello White. He's a good ball player, but he's not, you know, he's not Patrick Ewing. He's not Lou Alcindor, you know, uh, so, and he tends to get in foul trouble. We've seen that over two years with him. So you need somebody else who can play. Yeah. And, you know, it's not the NBA. Guys, especially guards, can play the full game. Oh, sure. But I think it would be foolhardy to expect Romello White to play the full game. Yes, it is. Yeah, I think so, too. You know, so, uh, you know, just, again, foul trouble is the first thing that comes into play. You know, you get a couple of, you get, you know, one cheap foul and one legit foul in the first eight minutes of the game, and you're on the bench for the rest of the first half, generally. And so you need somebody else who can play, and we're we're counting on new faces there. We, We don't have the returning depth that we might have had, although, you know, like, Scheibel had completely fallen out of the rotation, and he was not an inside guy either. I mean, he, he had some size, but he was a, a perimeter player. Um, and Plastic, who knows? I mean, who knows? He was such a raw project, it seemed like, that even if those guys were coming back, I think we'd still have the same questions. We've just replaced them with guys we haven't seen play at all or have never put on an ASU uniform, but still the same question marks of do we have a competent second big like like Daquan Lake was for us at times. Yeah, and, and Scheibel really became – the guy who, when everything was falling apart or there's a minute left and we don't want Zylan Cheatham to get his third foul. Right. You know, that was really the role. Agreed, agreed, yeah. I mean, you know, it didn't surprise me at all that he left. I was a little bit surprised by by Plavsic leaving just because he did seem like such a project. But, you know, part of the appeal for bringing him in was the assistant who's not here anymore. So... Yes, I wasn't shocked by that either. Um, but, you know, like neither one of those really seems that damaging. Now, if if you know one or both go on to do something at their at their respective destinations, you know, it might you might look at it and think, boy, that hurts. But in the moment, I, I don't think either one of those really is that killer. Again, that's that's college basketball. Now you're gonna lose guys. We talked about at the end of the year. Um, you're going to lose guys and you're going to bring guys in and, and that's exactly what we've got here. You know, we, we lost a couple transfers. We're bringing in a couple Juco kids <laughs> to replace them basically. Yeah. Um, let's pivot and talk about the NBA draft a little bit. Yeah. And what happened yeah, with, a, uh, Dort and Cheatham. Disappointing night for our, for our Sun Devils. So Bobby Hurley was out in New York with both of the guys, neither of them were uh, invited to the green room or at least neither of them chose to be in the green room, which was good. That's probably good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because neither of them got drafted. The, the story to me, well, one, all of the momentum Cheatham picked up and all of the momentum Dort seemed to lose. Uh, yeah. was interesting, but I, I guess I am unfamiliar. Maybe I haven't been paying attention or maybe it hasn't come up with a guy who I've cared that much about. But I was unfamiliar with the concept of declining being drafted in order to sign a two-way contract. Right, right. I mean, I've, I've, I've heard it. Now, I don't know all the ins and outs of this. This two-way contract thing is a relatively new idea. Um, I, you know, from what I have understood about it, basically it puts you on the, uh, you know, in the NBA organization – uh, and you're limited in your amount of days that you can spend on the main roster. I think it's like 45, it's 45 days or something like days that. days that you can be up. Uh, and, and, and so if you go any more than that, I think you have to sign him to a, a regular contract, basically. Yeah. And there's some other, you know, issues. Uh, I believe that teams kind of walk this line of they send guys down for the days in between games to try yes. to, you know. But uh, even if you 
game the system as much as possible. The maximum is 45 days, so mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. you're spending less than half of a year with yeah. the team. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, and, and Dort got that deal with Oklahoma City, it, ultimately it is what I thought he would be, which is a guy who would, and I said this you know, many times we talked over the last few months, that he's a guy who will initially spend a lot of time in the G League. And it's gonna it's gonna be you know can he grow his game enough over the next year or two to be a, a contributor and, a, and potentially more than that in the NBA he's he's got talent we know he's got talent we saw it but he's got a lot of work to do too and it was gonna come down to that um, you know I, the whole like oh it's better to be undrafted than drafted I always find that to be a little bit of rationalization now maybe there's some truth to it but it it's, it seems to lack you know, truth to me. <laughs> it just doesn't, it, it, it rings as hollow. I guess it does. the, the it idea does. would be, and I, you know, I've heard this argument in the NFL, so I'll, I'll say it from yeah. that perspective. Yeah. The idea that, look, in round seven, you're, you go to a team and obviously they're picking you because they think you fill a need. Right. Um, but you don't get to choose what team you have the best shot at making the roster sure, for. Sure, um, and Whereas I, undrafted, you get some some control over it. I mean, it's not like you're, you know, but a high-priced free agent and you're getting wined and dined. But at least you get some, some say in the matter, basically. Yeah, I, I think that where Cheatham landed was a great spot. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I, yeah. you know, the Pelicans had a, a monster asset haul. He actually kind of, oddly enough, I think fits what they need and their timeline because he's already 23. Right, right. (laughs) So he's controllable, but he will mature at the same time as Ingram and Ball. You know, he's already probably going to be the third or fourth oldest guy on their (laughs) roster. (laughs) He might be close to it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's that's true. And, I mean, it's it's not bad fits for either guy. Um, You know, I think we were... We were both prepared that Cheatham might go undrafted. I was hoping he would go, you know, in the second round somewhere. But Dort going undrafted really surprised me. And I, I get that they, you know, his agent, who is obviously paid to, you know, spin things in a positive way, says, you know, well, we, we turned down, you know, places that we're going to draft and stash. And, you know, that's a, that is admittedly a maneuver that teams use in the second round. Is they draft guys that they have zero intention of putting on their roster this year because they don't count against the salary cap. If they don't put them on their roster, they control their rights, but they don't put them on their roster. They are, they are, you know, either stashed overseas or stashed in the G league. Mm. Uh, and so I get that, but at the same time, it's disappointing for a guy who for, for the most part in the pre-draft process was thought of as a, as a late first borderline, you know, borderline first round pick basically to not go at all. Um, that hurts. I mean, and, and you know, it just, uh, we haven't had somebody drafted now for what, six years. So it's mm-hmm. disappointing in that regard. I mean, obviously for him, maybe it's, maybe it truly is better off, but as an ASU fan, it's disappointing that we couldn't have ended that drought when it sure seemed like that drought would come to an end. I mean, I, I would not have expected neither one of them to get picked. Certainly Dork being the one I for sure thought we'd hear his name called. Well, especially in December, if you would have told yeah. me, Dort's going to yeah. leave, I would have said, okay, and he's going to be undrafted. I know, I know, yeah. I would not have thought that, yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it, uh, it, I guess it I guess it goes to show that some of the warts in his game were noticed by NBA teams, um, you know, I, I kind of thought, well, you know, nobody, nobody seems to care if you can shoot anymore and fall in love with your athleticism, well, we saw that be the opposite, we saw some guys get picked higher than expected, because they could shoot, and and Dort doesn't bring that to the table right now. And I, I don't think at any point, you know, now there's a rare exception here or there, Kawhi Leonard being one of a guy who came into the league with the knock of, boy, he can't shoot, and has really turned into a good shooter. More often than not, you know, if you struggle to shoot, you can make it workable, but you're never going to turn into, you know, J.J. Redick. Um and and so he's gonna he's got an uphill battle. Like I said, it's gonna come down to can he improve his game enough over the next couple of years, mostly spent with whatever Oklahoma City's team is in the in the G League. I don't even know, uh, you know, to 
to make an impact maybe in, in you know, 2021 or two. Hope he can, but it's, it's an uphill battle to make it. Well, and it's going to be, it's going to be a question of what kind of work is he willing to put in? Yes. You know, and it's hard because for some guys, you know, the, the LeBrons of the world, they, they've always been the best guy and they got to be the best guy all the way to the top level. But for everyone else, there comes a point where your natural ability is no longer elite. Enough to carry you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, and even a guy like LeBron or, you know, I mean, you, you still got to put in the work. I mean, yeah, you know, you're right. He's obviously uber talented, but there's, there's guys like him who had just as much talent that they don't, they didn't put in the work. Um, or, or something befell, you know, maybe it's not even just the word. They got it's injured or whatever luck. it was. Yeah. yeah, they went to the wrong spot coming out. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things. But you're right. I mean, at the, you know, at each level you advance, uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a hierarchy. And, well, I, and I guess know, my point was there are so many people who are anointed the best who then yes, are not. Are not. Um, yeah. Yeah, but he was anointed the best and continued to be the best. Yes, which, yeah. is, which is rare, you know. Because yeah, you're right, you know. And and yeah, I mean every every step up you take, um, you know, everybody who gets a college scholarship was really pretty darn good in high school, and many of them don't even see the court in college. They bounce around, they transfer, or maybe they, you know, end up quitting basketball, or they stay four years and they barely play, and that's that. Uh, you know, and then everybody who goes from college to the pro, well, there's a portion of them that gets sliced off that they'll never make it. And Dort might be that, Cheetah might be that. Um, I, I hope not. I mean, obviously, I root for both of them. Uh, you know, Cheatham was a guy who, in one year, kind of captured the the hearts of ASU fans. Um, and, and so I, you know, I probably will find myself following him a little more. But you know, Dort had a really good year. We don't, you know, uh, I don't want to talk down. No, him look, or he was a Pac-12 like freshman of the year. Yeah, yeah. You know, he had a solid year. I don't, I don't think, um, you know, we we uh, we talked about like how we rank our quarterbacks, and, and this is a little different. But you know, we need some time to per, to put it in perspective. Uh, Door will not be, you know, confused with James Harden for what he did here. Um, I w- I don't he, think Dort would be confused with uh, Derek Glasser for the, what he did no, here. No, probably not. Yeah, I mean, I, I would agree with that. Um, you know, does he does he rank around where Jahi Carson probably something yeah. like that? I mean, Carson played took, for two years, well, and but took the team to a tournament. He did. He did. Yeah. You know, so similar end result. Uh, both left early, both went undrafted when, you know, they, they certainly came in with more fanfare than that. Um, you know, I don't know. Again, it's it's hard to put that in perspective right after the season. I mean, it's easier when you do that three, four years from now. Um, so, you know, it's, it's like getting meet expectations. I'm not sure. Uh, the answer is not a definite no, but it's not a definite yes either. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know what you think of that. I, I don't think he met expectations. I, when I hear that you are a five star, yeah. six foot four, one and done candidate, mm-hmm. I expect the team in basketball, especially at the college level, to be ranked all year. To, to not be a bubble team, to win or finish, you know, high up in the conference. And, and I do believe that this team was talent-wise and, you know, breaks-wise yeah. as close as we've come since that team that lost to USC. I, I you know, it was yeah. it was legitimately, I felt like, their conference to lose in the yeah. tournament. Yeah. and. It got, you know, and they lost. It got they taken got from them. Lines. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's tough because, I mean, and I, I didn't even really set out to get to this point in talking about him. But, but um, you know, we've had, we've had t- touted recruits, James Harden being the one that comes to mind, that was touted and more than lived up to the billing. And then we've had touted recruits that clearly 
did not even come close. And I think he have Keala King and Sam Cudliffe. Yeah. You know, they were they were both four or five star guys. They were supposed to be great. And they didn't come anywhere close. Dort falls in the middle of those two ranges. He he wasn't a bust. He had a good year, as you said. He was conference freshman of the year. Uh, we got to the tournament. He had some really, you know, really good games, especially early in the season. Um, but it just felt like like you almost you wanted more. And for it to already be over, and that's, that's the downside of this one-and-done thing, is so many times, I mean, for every one Anthony Davis or Derrick Rose or somebody like that, there seems to be dozens, if not hundreds, I mean, probably not hundreds, but certainly dozens of guys who spend one year in college and it's like they're there and they're gone and, and, and you have a hard time, and that's what I'm having a hard time with now, putting their career into perspective because it's only one year and unless they did something incredible, which he didn't, it's like, okay, how do you assess him? I mean, how do you compare him to Derek Glasser? Because, I mean, Derek Glasser was here for four years. He left an imprint. So, yeah, I would agree with you that Derek Glasser certainly left better impact on ASU. But, you know, Derek Glasser played in 120-some games and Dort played in 30-some. It's hard to compare those in a, in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, and I think – but I think that is the point I'm getting at, which is – Yeah. I, I think that I will remember Dort because I remember ASU – athletes but i don't i would not expect anyone who did not attend asu this academic year Mm -hmm. to remember lou dort in four years unless he is a contributor to an nba team well and that's the thing you know and i was gonna say if he goes on and does something in the nba we'll obviously be reminded of him we'll hear his name and but yeah, I mean, uh, three, four years from now, when you and I are talking and we're looking back, and uh, you know, will we remember? Will he be one of the first names that comes to mind? Will we remember exactly what year he played for the team? I don't know if we will. You know, we'll probably, oh, yeah, yeah, Dor. What year was that? Was that uh, 2018, 2019, 2020? I'm not sure. Um, you know, it just it's it's there and gone, and and that is the downside of this. Uh, you know, the way college basketball is now is you don't have a lot of time to, you know, grab onto these guys. They're, you know, the, the ones that there have been a few in Arizona, and we've, I've mentioned that to you, like, some of these guys, like, I don't even have the time to work up a dislike for them because they're there and gone. And, you know, you don't, you're not playing them four years in a row like in the old days where it's like by the time they're juniors and seniors, you hate them. They get under your skin. The, the mere sight of them, it drives you nuts. Like, oh, yeah, DeAndre Ayton. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really like him, and you know, they they beat us a couple times with him, but then he's gone. Uh, you know, I don't I don't have a lot of venom toward him as a U of A player because he was barely there. Well, and it's funny that you say that because, like, when I think of the U of A players that I dislike from the rivalry, especially, yeah. um, like I will always, always immediately react to I don't like Kevin Parham. He is right. probably my least favorite because of the <laughs> cheap shot foul. <laughs> And the no easy buckets comment afterwards. Right. Uh, and if I'm not mistaken, wasn't Parham a four-year guy there? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he left early or transfer. You know, he and, wasn't a transfer in. So, yeah. I mean, that 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 venom was built up by, you know, eight to eight plus games. Might have been more than eight. That he was there. I think one of the years we played him in the conference tournament. That you know, you build that hatred of him going against ASU. Well, and that's and I, I'm sure that's why in that Howler article. You know, they hate Kyle Dodd, and I yes. bet I, I, if I asked Zach, my brother, wh- who he had the strongest mm-hmm. animosity towards, I bet Derek Glasser is Derek not low on that yeah. list. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, no, let's not fool ourselves. Part of that is, is skin color. Uh, it's uh, somehow in basketball, white guys are easily hated. But four years matters, too. Um, and, yeah, I mean, you know, the one I always go back to is Jared Bayless. Jared Bayless came in there with a ton of fanfare. Local kid, we saw him play in high school. Um, he was a huge recruit, and he was there one year, and he got picked in the lottery. Still in the NBA, he's had a you know a decent, Long respectable career. NBA career. Um, but you know, it's like, eh, okay. I mean, do I do I think of him as like, oh, he went to the U of A? I can't stand him. Not really. I mean, no. I, I don't love him because he went to the U of A, but it, you know. I, I mean, well, he was barely and, there. Well, and it's also, he doesn't have a, that moment 
where I felt like he took something. You know, Salim Stoudemire has a moment where I remember where I was. I remember what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. But, again, he was a four-year guy. By the time, I mean, before that game happened, and you know it as well as anybody because you were there with me, I hated Salim Stoudemire. We watched him come in for, for, you know, morning shoot-around. And yes, that game just, you know, ratcheted the hate up from maybe a, a seven or eight to a ten and a half on a scale of ten. But I hated him already because he'd been there for four years. I couldn't stand him. Now, it, you know, a guy like him would probably be there two years and be gone. Yeah. That. So it's just Channing Fry was a four-year guy. Um, you know, so it's just different with, with guys like, you know, before we started talking, you were you were – talking about some of the guys that in this in this recruit article, you know, you know, oh, they've had some of the best post guys lately. Every one of those names, Mark and Aaron Gordon, DeAndre Ayton, were one and done guys. So I don't really think of them as like, oh, they played at Arizona. I hate them. I mean, they played at Arizona. I don't love them. But eh. now if they went to the final four in that one year, then I might hate them. But, it, you know, like just playing the regular season and getting bounced in the sweet 16 or first round like DeAndre Ayton, who cares? Yeah. No, I'm with you. It, it's funny because I do think that that coincides with the uh, animosity aimed at coaches going up. You know? Yeah, because probably. they're, you know, Sean Miller is there. Bobby Hurley is there every rivalry year game, after year. You yeah. know? Yeah. And that's probably true. I mean, I, you know, and, and you, you hit on a point that I've heard others make, which is that, you know, college basketball is, is, has become more about the coaches. Um, we don't we don't know the players that well. Last year being a little bit of an exception with that Duke team at Zion, but you know the the players come and go, and it's the coaches that are kind of the the stars of the show. It's uh, you know Shashevsky and Roy Williams and Tony Bennett and Tom Izzo and Calipari and and you know on our local level it's Miller and Hurley. Um, those are the ones that you know you you associate with the program, and the players are very you know transitory it seems like they're they're there and they're gone with a few exceptions yeah yeah i i think that's just the way it's becoming it is i mean there's no going back on college basketball we, we talked about this i know a few months ago and you know you compare it to the 80s and the early 90s when we were kids and guys you know when when chris weber left as a sophomore it was like wow he's leaving as a sophomore and, and, you know, those other Howard and Rose stayed for, for three years. You would never see that nowadays. Every one of those guys would leave after one year. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think about when that Florida team ran it back for right. the second title. It's like it, all it, five it, it, guys it, it, stayed? Yeah. yeah. And that was only, what, 12, 13, 12 years ago, right? They won yeah. in 06 and 07. Yeah. So, that, I mean, we're not talking, you know, that long ago. But yeah, just the, the mentality has changed. Um, I mean, Virginia is a great example. DeAndre Hunter was a lottery pick, so you can't fault him. He was, you know, but Ty Jerome went 24th. Kyle Guy went at the end of the second round. And, you know, 10 years ago, those guys would have probably come back. And for, you know, we'd be talking about Virginia as, wow, they're going to be amazing. Yeah, they lost DeAndre Hunter, but they have everybody else back. That's not the way it is anymore. Yeah. Um. Let's transition quickly to football recruiting um, only because I've seen uh, some commentary from people on Twitter who are the recruiting insider people that, you know, ASU has been in on more guys nationally this year than I've seen in, you know, ever. Uh, they're not just California, Texas, Arizona. Yeah. You know they're they're in on more guys nationally. They're in the conversations. Yeah, and it it bore fruit earlier this week when Diamante Trainum, and I don't think I'm saying either of those I'm names. I'm not sure. Right. I was going to ask. I haven't heard it pronounced, but uh, but yeah, uh, we'll, hopefully uh, we'll hear it a lot over the next three to four years. Uh, linebacker slash running back from Ohio, who had offers from Ohio State, Penn State, and Wisconsin, uh-huh. uh, took a late visit late offer to Tempe and committed um just on the 26th so yeah, yeah. you know he was blown away by the campus which 
Mm-hmm. It's surprising if you got him to come in in May because it was already up in the hundreds. But it's, it is a True. beautiful campus, and it's a great you know if you yeah. if it was cold and we've had a prolonged winter and chilly spring sure. in the Midwest. Yeah. I, I imagine coming out there would have felt very nice. Sunshine and palm trees, yeah, yeah. There are there are uh, certainly worse places to spend your year than Arizona. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, as you're as you're saying this, the thing that is just going through my mind is, this is what we were told, and and if they can deliver, it's going to be great. But this is what we were told when Ray Anderson made the move away from Todd Graham and the move to Herm Edwards was that recruiting was really one of the biggest areas we had to get better at. Uh, we had to start getting better talent. He pointed to the draft and having a draft class where only a kicker and punter, you know, were draft prospects um and he pointed to you know our our just general lack of big time talent that was holding us back and we're not there yet by any means but you know maybe we are starting to see the the fruit come from the seeds that have been planted i hope so long way to go but this this is the vision that was laid out for us a couple years ago yeah you know the thing that i didn't believe I'll, I'll be honest, I did not believe it when they said it, was just wait till Herm gets in the room with a kid and their parents mm-hmm. and he will close. Yeah. And I, and I did not think that was true. No. I no, felt and, like and, he and, was going to be too old and out of touch and maybe he'd connect sure. with the parent. But yeah. every but one of these stories yeah. says, yeah, they loved him. It's they thought he was difference. great. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. You know, we're like I said, we are a long ways from being able to declare this, you know, a victory in terms of the move, in terms of the, the recruiting success. I mean, we are, you know, if if there's a you know a hundred steps in the journey, we're about three or four steps down the road. We got a long more way to go, but we're three or four steps down the road. And and you know, a while ago we were just starting, and it was like I don't know, like I didn't I didn't necessarily buy it either. And again, I don't want to say they've they've totally proved me wrong, but yeah, I mean this this is this is what they laid out was you know we're gonna we're gonna bring in Herb and he's gonna bring in these these other coaches and this NFL model this pro model and we're gonna start recruiting better and we were told like you know the first year eh okay it's gonna be a little bumpy but just wait wait till the class of twenty and twenty one and you know early results are good they're early but. That was when we were told, like, look out. We're really making headway with this class, and so far, so good. Well, and let's be really clear about last year's class, which was supposed to be, you know, late and and a problem. Two starting linebackers, you know, including the Pac-12 freshman defensive player of the year. Right, right, yeah. I mean, and, and there'll be some other guys who will, you know, hopefully step forward this year. Guys who who either redshirted or maybe only played a couple games, got their redshirt year. Um, you know, but yeah, I mean, that that class turned out better than it was supposed to be, and certainly than it looked after the early signing period. You know, the early signing period wasn't great. We closed well. We added some guys in February, um, and this this past class, you know, who knows? I mean, they have none of them have played a single game yet. Um, hopefully we found a, a quarterback among that class. We took three, so hopefully we found a guy that is our, our you know guy of the future, if not starting this year. Um, and and yeah, but but you know what what they kept saying was you know judge us on the classes of 2020 and 21 because those are the ones where we've had you know we're going to have the same time to build up relationships and and we feel really good about where we're at with those classes. And again, it's a long ways from complete, but yeah, this gets you excited because it's it's always nice when people can deliver on their word, and this at least is one sign that they might be capable of doing that. Yeah, and I think you know it, it, they talked about in uh, Howler's article the help that Iguana was. Yeah, I saw that. It's a it is a very impressive thing the way that Donnie Yantis has been able to maintain the relationships locally that, you know, you could argue, and I think Ray Anderson did argue, were mm-hmm. wasted under yeah. Todd Graham. Yeah. Um, 
and to survive that and, and to strengthen it in a way that has had a huge impact so far yeah, in recruiting. Agreed, agreed, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you just, you like what you hear. Now, granted, it's 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 June, and, you know, I, I've been reading a lot of the athletics, has, has done a ton of these state of the programs, uh, and I haven't read, a, you know, every one, because a lot of them are programs that I'm not going to spend that much time reading about. But I've read, you know, Alabama's, and I've read Nebraska and Ohio State, and, you know, and ASU had one of the early ones, and and everybody's optimistic this time of year, and I get it. You know, everybody feels like things are pointed in the right direction, and when the games start happening, you know, then the real stuff starts to come out. Sometimes it's like, eh, things aren't so great. But you sure, I mean, there's just a quiet confidence that seems to be around this program now. That like, we know what we're doing. We we got the initial bumps out of the way last year, the initial doubts, and you know, like, was this going to be a train wreck? Well, it wasn't, and and now it feels like you know, time to time to really kick it into gear. I don't know if it's going to be this year that we take the huge step forward. I mean, we do have question marks, but there does appear to be a a confidence level and a and a security building that's like, all right, we're we're on the right track here, and just. Just wait a little bit more, and it's going to be great. And I hope that's true. Proof will be in the results, obviously, on the field. But I like the vibe around the program. I agree. It's, it is a very positive feeling for two months before our first game. It is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, it's, it's June, and everybody, every fan base in the country right now feels like, you know, this season could be pretty good. And for some, it will be. And for others, it will not be. And for others, it'll be just kind of somewhere in the middle. And we'll see where we fall. But, uh, you know, I, I don't mind where we are right now. Let's say that. Uh, Matt, a final bit of nonsense before we go. Yes. Reports, sources say that LeBron James is going to give up number 23 to Anthony Davis. I heard. I heard. And go back to number six. Going back to six, apparently, yeah. Which happens to be the jersey that he's wearing in Space Jam 2. In Space Jam 2, photos. I heard. So <laughs> the, the that, yeah. synergy and the marketing is strong. Uh, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not uh, disappointed. It's very Kobe-esque. Let's switch numbers and yeah. sell yeah. two different jerseys. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, 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 uh, it's a classic Twitter story. I mean, you know, middle of the day, like, you know, every, every trending topic on Twitter was something about 23 to AD six, LeBron, Miami, LeBron, LeBron six, Bronson, you know, man, people love that stuff. They eat it up. Uh, does it really matter? No. Um, the bigger news surrounding the Lakers today was, you know, they, they apparently have swung enough for, room to you know sign another max guy if they want to or at least or if not have more money to divvy up among other guys uh by trading mo wagner and two guys that i'll honestly admit i've never heard of isaac Uh, bonga and jamario jones jamario jones yeah i mean i i consider myself pretty decent basketball fan and i've never heard those names before like four days ago when the story came out that they needed to unload them so i don't think they lost much with that um, you know, they, they right now have, I mean, officially, well, I guess the trades aren't official, but if you, if you, you know, count the unofficial trades as official, they have three guys on their roster, LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kyle Kuzma. So they got a lot of work to do, um, as good as two of those guys are. And Kuzma's pretty good. I don't think they're going to go very far with a three man roster. So there's still pieces in play, but you know, it, it's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, if they could land Kawhi Leonard and it's a big if. But if they could land Kawhi Leonard, that ratchets things up big time. Like I said to you last week that I, I still had my doubts because LeBron's getting older and Davis is injury prone, and those things are true. But if they can add Kawhi Leonard to those two, then I think, okay, we start talking about can this team win the title year one. That's, that's the move to me, that if they can make that, I'll be sold. Well, everything I'm hearing, and my sources are podcasts I listen to. <laughs> Is that it's the Clippers or back to Toronto for Kawhi? That seems to be the thought, you know, and it has been that that he doesn't want to be a, a second fiddle. Um, but no, you know, I mean, people say this, and I think it's true. 
he is not a guy that has has really led a lot of people into his thought process. He's the anti Kyrie. Like Kyrie loves to sit and you know pontificate, air, air out his feelings about everything in front of the media, and then complain that the media you know puts too much pressure on him and and talks about him too much. And you know, uh, Leonard is just he just kind of goes about his business. He's not an entertaining interview by any means, um, and and so no one really knows. Like anybody who tells you that you know. They have a good idea. I think they're just guessing because um, he hasn't really opened up to media. And, and, you know, I mean, it was the same thing with the whole year long saga with the Spurs. No one knew what was going on. We still don't really know what happened there. Like, I mean, there's there's a lot of theories out there, but we still don't really know the story behind the story. Maybe we never will of what broke down between him and the Spurs. That is true. And for other guys, we would know everything. I mean, we know everything about Kyrie Irving and the Cavs. Uh, you know, we, we, we got that established like a 30 for 30 documentary, basically. But with Leonard and the Spurs, too, they're, they're both, you know, like they just they don't open up much. So that that's the perfect storm, I guess. Yeah, of silence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so who knows, man? I mean, it, you know, we'll, uh, it, it, it opens for business here in about three days, uh, less than less than 72 hours. We're not doing the midnight thing anymore, which is kind of good actually have these this news coming out in the middle of the day on Sunday, I think. And and so, uh, you know, by the next time we talk, we'll probably have some fairly, you know, big news in the NBA one way or the other. Yeah, we'll have a lot of news. We'll have a lot of stuff to talk about. There's always more ASU off-season chatter. Um, That's right. That's right. Yeah, I mean, about what? Two months and two days until the opener of football, so it's going to be here sooner than we think. Yeah, look, fall camp's going to open soon. A little over a month, yeah. Yeah, I mean, then we're off to Camp T, actually off to Camp T this year, it seems. Uh, I think that's that's full speed ahead, and, you know, like I said, soon enough, we'll be getting ready for Kent State. Until next time, he's Matt. I'm Ben. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. <laughs>